This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. the Bible, please raise your hand. We're in Matthew chapter 5. In this section of Matthew that we're going into, uh, Jesus starts to talk a lot about the law. This is the the start of that conversation. And and Jesus addresses, over the next two weeks, we're going to look at five specific things that Jesus addresses about the law. And I have them listed out for you. If you are a note taker, we're going to cover the first two today, and then we're going to split it in half, and we're going to cover the last three next week. Number one, violence. Number two, adultery. Number three, swearing. Number four, revenge. And number five, hatred of your enemy. So we are going to be covering today violence and adultery. It is interesting that these are the first two things that Jesus wants to talk about in reference to the law of God toward the nation of Israel. So we're going to talk about that, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, this is the day that you have made for us. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, God, for another sunrise that demonstrates your faithfulness. Just as surely as the sun is going to rise tomorrow, tomorrow, so also your faithfulness abides and dwells with us on, on a regular basis. So we just thank you, God, for speaking to us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all of these families and the children and the season that you have for us here at Paradise. We want to have our hearts open and willing to receive all that you have for us so that we can respond to you in obedience and we can see uh, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things. We pray that you bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I don't know if you remember, but a number of years ago, there was a 007 movie that came out. And the producers of the movie had a unique task, and they were trying to market to two different people. The, the movie was huge, but they had a huge European audience, but they also had a huge American audience. And when they marketed, they couldn't market the same for both. When they marketed for the Americans, they had to emphasize certain things about the movie. What do you think that was when they marketed to the Americans? What do they have to emphasize? Violence! This is going to be bloody gore. It's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. Yeah, let's go see it. When they marketed it to the Europeans, they had to, they had to market it a different way. What, what did they emphasize for the Europeans? Sex and sexuality. And the presentation of that was purposeful and, and intended because this is an underlying issue for everybody. And it's the first thing, interestingly enough, it's the first thing that Jesus wants to talk about. And it is one of the things that many people have the most questions about. I was just talking to somebody. This is kind of, this is um, 
kind of connected. I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I can't really get into it, but he said the most ridiculous thing to me. He said that God doesn't prohibit premarital sex in the Bible. He only prohibits adultery. So you can have sex with people. You just can't have sex with people who are married. Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand where he came to that or how he came to that conclusion, but we had a, an interesting conversation. It's in the heart of man to do what he pleases. And really what we're talking about here with the law isn't the check boxes that I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. Jesus goes deeper. He peels back some layers to show that it's really the state, the condition of our heart. See, because what the state or condition of my heart is, what I've already given something, given myself over to in my mind, in my thinking, will ultimately be manifested in an action. We talked about this with our uh, um, It's All in Your Head series through Philippians when we talked about that. This is the same kind of thing. Jesus peels back the layers and he goes deeper than the letter of the law. He says, you heard it said. We're not gonna get to it right now. We're gonna get to it in a minute. But he says, it's been said since the days of old, that this is the law, this is what you are to do or to not do. But I say, and then he goes deeper. And why does he go deeper? We'll look and see, but he goes deeper to, to get to the heart of the issue. The action may have been manifest, but you got to that place because of something you already decided in your thinking, in your process of thinking. And Jesus sets up some things here for us Starting in chapter 5, verse 17, and the title of today's message is TVMA. You guys know what that means? Do you know how you get the rating TVMA? An excess of violence and of sexual content. And most people who watch TVMA, I thought about not saying this because it's kind of offensive, but but most people that watch TV MA or seek out to watch it, they're not very MA. That's why they, that's why they seek it out. Did you ever notice that too? I noticed that PG-13, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to let my, my 13-year-old watch this. It kind of pushes, pushes back a little bit on me. Or PG, this is PG. Anyway, be that as it may, TV MA or Jesus responding to or talking about the two major heart issues In the world, I'd like to say in our society, but in the world, violence and sexuality. Starting before we get to that in verse 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is interesting because Jesus starts out by saying, there's a section in the law that I want to address, but I want to let you know up front that I did not come to abolish the law, to change the law. I'm going to challenge you, but I came to not show, just show you that, that you should uh, uh, obey the law. And he was an obeyer of the law, but he was greater than uh, obedient to the law. He was the fulfillment of the law. This is the key for us this morning. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law and what that looks like. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. 
Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we might think at face value, Jesus is just upping the ante, right? Who was greater than the scribes and the Pharisees when it came to faith or, or belief? Nobody. They, they would go out in their garden, they would pick 10 leaves of mint for whatever reason. They'd go inside and they'd, and they'd tie that one, one to the Lord. Or, or however many, according to the Old Testament law, um, there was 20 23% was, was the tithe required in part of the Levitical priesthood law and other Old Testament laws. It's not 10 like some people believe. But they would, they would separate and they would even tithe just the, a leaf just so that they were in right standing with God. And Jesus says to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Sadducees and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you would say that your righteousness exceeds or is greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day? How many of you would say that it is? Raise them high. Good job, sister. Every single one of you, because this reason, remember I told you this was key, Jesus fulfilled the law. And by faith in Jesus Christ alone, the only person who was able in all of history to fulfill, not just obey, but to fulfill the entirety of the, the, entirety of the law, the word tells us that God looks at us and they see, he sees Jesus. He sees the standard of righteousness that was placed against us and he sees his son fulfilling it in your faith, giving him access an open door to have a right relationship with him. This is why it's so important for us. This is, again, this is not a checklist. Jesus isn't upping the ante. He's not telling you that you have to be better. He, he's demonstrating, I've heard some commentators and Bible teachers say this, he's demonstrating the fact that you cannot be greater than the Pharisees and Sadducees, that you cannot live up to the standard of righteousness that he set in his perfection. And he being the son of God, fully obeying, fully fulfilling the law, did it for you to have a right relationship with God. And what we're doing here this morning, when we look at these first two issues, what we're doing here this morning is we're not adding on extra law for you to fulfill or abide by what we're doing is Jesus is showing us the condition or the state that our heart needs to be in. You see, because if you obey the law, you can say, you know, how many of you guys speed? Nobody can see you except for, nobody can see you online except they can see me, okay? I speed. When I, when I say I speed, I do seven miles over the speed limit because it's the number of completion, okay? <laughs> And if the cop pulls me over, I'm like, listen, it was seven miles an hour. You're not really going to give me a ticket for seven miles an hour. Have, have I ever gotten a ticket for seven miles over the speed limit? I have not. But for me, if I'm going five miles over the speed limit, I'm not really doing the speed limit. 
It's, there, there's, there, you know, it's the letter of the law. This is, and, and we try to push and get as close to the letter of the law and step a little bit over and say, I wasn't really breaking the law. When in actuality, that was breaking the law. And don't tell anybody about the speeding thing, okay? I'm confiding in you guys today. But really, what's before my speedometer goes up to seven miles an hour over the speed limit, what's already happened before that moment is I have decided in my heart that that's okay and that I'm going to do it. See, what Jesus is going to address here for us, he going to address the fact that, that we come to these conclusions of lawlessness before we actually exercise and break the law. And, and the law wasn't intended for us to follow as, as in the sense of do these things and you will be good, you will be blessed, and things will be fine. The, the, the law was to express God's heart towards man. And it was to be able for God to express his heart through man, through obedience to the law, which again, I have to say that we were not able to fulfill. But Jesus says, it's not just the do not do these things. It's a, what's your intention when you step out to do them? I have to qualify that and clarify a little bit as we continue. But I do have to take, uh, take note before we move on here that, that he says, assuredly, I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jaw or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Do you know that what you hold in your hand, hopefully, even if it's a smartphone or whatever, what you're reading with me together today is the word of God. And, and I sometimes it doesn't really hit me like it should. Not one jot, not one cross T or dotted I is going to be done away with or going to fall short of God's intended purpose for, at, for it until everything else is done away with. His word is eternal. It, it, it lives forever. And when we read it together this morning or whenever we open our word, let's approach it like that, right? I get to read God's word. I had a conversation with somebody this past week who I've been meeting with and doing some one-on-one -on -one discipleship with, and I, I mentioned, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a while. What's going on? Are you okay? Is everything, oh, you know, this and that and this and my wife and the kids and this and all these things. And I, I said, you know, the, 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 the church, I'm not trying to give you like the pastoral response of like, if you want your life to be better, you need to go to church more and you need to read the Bible and you need to pray which all those things are true, but it comes across as kind of a Christian cliche. But I said, you know, our meeting together is really a supplement to what your place and position in the body of Christ is supposed to be. You're gonna receive instruction by coming to church and sitting in a Bible study from God's word. It's not just me hanging out with you, telling you what you should do. And you need to be in more. I was talking to somebody um, just not, you know, a week or two ago and last week, last weekend. And I said, you know, the, the, the discipleship and counseling load is starting to get to be a lot. And he said, you know, I was part of a church that the, uh, the pastoral staff didn't take anybody that wanted counseling. They had to fill out an application for counseling because the pastor of that church was having the same issue of it was just getting to be too much. 
I just saw a statistic today that, that uh, not today, uh, uh, a couple days ago that said that uh, most uh, head pastors or people in pastoral ministry spend at least 80% of their time of what they designate to, 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 you know, to working in the church, 80% of their time to counseling people in the church. But, on, but back to my friend, he said, this is what we did. We made them fill out an application. And on the application, one of the things that it said is, do you attend a church service, Bible study, or function at least two times a week? And if they didn't say yes at least two times, they wouldn't counsel them. <laughs> How do you like that? How do you like me now? I, I counsel people that don't even come to our church because I'm dumb. But... If you, and, and he said, this is why. This is what he said to me. He said, this is why. Because this is basic teaching of God's word that people are going to receive instruction from on a regular basis as they attend Bible study. It's not like uh, sermonetics. It's not me trying to wow you with my oratory skills, although I know you all are very much. It's basic instructions before leaving earth. How, why can't we take that seriously sometimes? I'm having all these problems. All these things are happening in my life. Have you been in the Word lately? I haven't. Well, maybe that's the first thing you should do. I know it's not what you want to hear. And I was talking to another friend, and I shared that story with him a couple days ago. He said, people want you, Pastor Tim, to reach into your pocket and pull out the magic pill. Okay, don't read your Bible. Don't pray. But here you go. Here's the magic pill. Everything's going to go well now. Thank you. No, it was a good attempt to catch, but no, listen, if we want, if we really want, if we really want to take seriously our lives on a daily basis, do you want to take your life seriously? your husband, your wife, your kids, your jobs, your careers, your everything, then you need to take this seriously. Because Jesus says not one thing is going to pass away. And it's still not going to pass away. And if you want instruction, if you need help, if you want true discipleship, you're going to get it in the Bible, in God's word. And then he says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law. You know, this is a, a perfect example of one of those instances where you know that verse that says, by one name under heaven, there's been given that by which we must be saved. One name. That's it. It's because he alone fulfilled the entirety of the law that God had given towards man. And it was through his fulfillment of that law that we have access to God and we can go boldly before the th throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. God's word. And he's freaking them out. You know how they respond. Well, if, what did he say about the, the rich man? It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God for, than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And what did they, what did they, how do they respond to him? Who then can be saved? Yeah. Without Jesus, it's not possible. With Jesus, all things are possible. 
It just makes my skin crawl, and I know that I probably should be more sensitive to people. I'm working on it. After I say this thing, I'll start working on it. But it just makes my skin crawl when I'm driving down the road and I pull up behind a car that has one of those coexist stickers. And if I offended you, it's, it's all right. I'm okay with it, okay? Because I'm like, take the cross and the Star of David out and make the word however else you want. But that's the, that's the great apostasy of the last times that everybody's going to be fine and everybody's going to find their own way and we're all going to be okay. And God, see, listen, if there was another way and Jesus Christ was murdered and he tortured and murdered for no reason, if there was any other way, there's no other way. There's no name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And his fulfillment of the law allows God to see us through that lens, through the lens of his blood that sanctifies us and sets us apart. Chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Anybody nervous right now? You guys getting nervous? <laughs> Jesus says it's not actually the action that you're going to be held accountable to. It's, it's going to be the thought, the process that you're going to be held accountable to. I, uh, as a side note, I really like this. I want to read it again. But I say to you that whenever whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, I'm like, I got a reason. <laughs> Why are you mad? I've got a I've got a reason to be mad. Don't worry. So the Bible says it's okay because I've got a I've got a cause to be mad. Well, Philippians chapter three. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now there's certain things that are gonna upset us, but what does the word instruct us in? It might be okay to be upset. God made us emotional beings. Don't run with that, ladies, okay? I'm just saying. God created us with emotion, it's okay to be upset. It's what we do with that and where we go from there. To the point where we've already decided beforehand and the sin has already happened before the action takes place. Shall be in danger of judgment and whoever says to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, notice, notice that as well, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. God's heart in the gospel is all about, all, all, all about. I love I was talking to Grace about her ladies' Bible study to make sure she wasn't saying anything bad. I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a poor, I wish she was here. She would have laughed. 
heretical, whatever. Um, I was because we, we talk about the Bible a lot. We we enjoy Bible, and 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 I was talking to her about her ladies' Bible study, and she said, um, as they're doing this on Thursday evenings, she said um, they started with this identity in Christ thing, this focus on identity in Christ, and she was talking about how one of the very clear expressions of God's heart for mankind through wanting us to have the identity of Christ is is how um, God's heart is so relational. God's heart is like incredibly from the very beginning to the very end. It's very engaging. It's very pursuing. It's very relational. And if God's heart is that way for you, then it's a it's easy byproduct. It's easy to get to. Then that's his heart for you for each other also. I've heard many times and I've said once or twice myself, just give me a small a small cabin up in the mountains by myself, and I never want to see anybody again. That's not God's heart for you. God's heart for you is to work through things and have discussions that may be difficult, but that can bring healing and 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 can reveal His character through you in those difficulty and relationships. Because God is a relational God. He doesn't desire you to isolate yourself. I think it's 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 kind of crazy how in, in our day and age, nobody wants to talk about anything. Did you guys notice that? Nobody wants to have a conversation about it, that, that I offended you or you offended me or what did you mean by that? Because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. I've made it a sport to hurt people's feelings. No, but seriously, why not have that conversation? And somebody hadn't talked to me in a, quite a while, and, and I didn't know why. They, they, they stopped uh, even when I, when I would text them or try to talk to them. They would ignore me and not respond to me. And I ran to them, and I said, whatever I did, I'm sorry. I, I, I have no clue, but clearly there's something wrong. And he said, yeah, you know, it was this thing that you did. And and I just couldn't couldn't get over it. I'm like, why? That wasn't even the deal, man. That wasn't even a thing. Why didn't you just come talk to me? Somebody in my family um, did, you know, one of the big one of the biggies, right, of, of our day and age now. Uh, one of uh, our family members unfriended me from Facebook. Just can't. And it could have been, I could have just been like, okay, you know, whatever. I know I, I, I was going to unfriend you, but you did me first, whatever, you know. No, it wasn't like that. So, uh, but because we're so non-confrontational, we don't want to talk about anything. I, I clearly had done something that offended this person to the point where they didn't want to be my virtual friend anymore. I'm like, you can't get rid of family though. You know, blood runs deep. So I approached this person, went right up to them and said, hey, I noticed that you unfriended me on Facebook. Whatever I did, I am so sorry. It was not intentionally directed at you. And please forgive me in all sincerity. And I was being sincere. I, I really did. I had no idea that I did something towards you that would cause you to, to not want to be my friend, you know? And they looked at me like a deer in the headlights, like, why in the world are we having this conversation right now? This is not supposed to be a thing. Like, I unfriend you, you get on with life, you know that I hate you, I get on with life continuing to hate you, and that's how it happens. But now we're having this super awkward discussion, 
And they said, it's nothing that you did to me directly, but I'm not walking with the Lord. I'm not really walking with the Lord right now. And everything you post convicts me. So instead of blocking me, which I wouldn't known about, she wanted to send a message and, and unfriend me because, because our lifestyle was, was convicting. And, I, and, and, and they apologized to me. And, and I said, well, as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to go send you a friend request. So you better accept it. And we've been friends ever since. But how do you think that relationship would have gone if I never had that conversation with them? I'd be at the altar. I'd be getting ready for church, you know, getting ready to bring God's word. And I'm pouring out my heart to God. God, you speak to us today and teach us and lead us. We want to be your people. We want to be your community. We want to be known by our love. And oh man, I hate that person that unfriended me on Facebook. My heart wouldn't be in the right place, would it? And I have all these things to offer you, God, and all these things in my life that I want to do for you, but I'm harboring hatred towards somebody. That I need. God says, Jesus says, put your gift down at the altar and go find out what's going on. Go reconcile, have that conversation. And if it ends up being worse and more uncomfortable, so be it. You know why? Because it can only get better. It can only get better especially if you approach it with an attitude of humility. I go up to somebody and say, I noticed that you did this. I'm right. You're wrong. Get over it. That's not the kind of conversation that we're supposed to have. That's not the kind of, that's not the kind of conversation that God had with you, was it? He didn't come smack you over the head and said, you big dummy, you keep messing up and I got to keep covering for you. I don't even want to have a relationship with you, but I have to because I'm God and that's what I said I was going to do. He pursued, this is the thing about God that boggles my mind, that he pursued us, that he wanted so desperately to have a relationship with us, his creation. I would have wiped you guys out like 50 times. I would have wiped you out. People, oh God. God says they were created in my image. Your brothers, your sisters, these people, I love them dearly and I want them to experience my love for them, listen, through you. I want them to experience my love for them through your life because the whole rest of the world can be haters and they can hate and hate and hate and hate and hate and you can try to shake it off. But the reality is you've been called to love and there's no gift that you can offer or thing that you can sacrifice to God that is greater than his heart and intention for you to love each other, to love others. Have that conversation. Verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. What does Jesus say here? You're not faultless. There's going to be an account. You're going to be held accountable. So for whatever degree or reason you're trying to withstand or, or withhold or whatever, have that conversation, do what's necessary, and do what's right. And again, how do we get to this place? We get to this place not by obeying the letter of the law, but by looking inside and saying, this is the condition of my heart. 
This is where I need to be. This is how I should be processing things. And you need to do that. I need to do that in my heart. God, where am I in this place between that person and me and my relationship before I have that conversation rather than thinking about it after? Because they might bring up something that, that, that was true and I have to be willing to confess that, yeah, you're right, I did, I did wrong. That was my bad, my fault. And I do ask for your forgiveness. You know, forgiveness goes a long way too. Not if you're a serial repentant person that doesn't change because true repentance is the Holy Spirit working through your life, making you look like somebody else. You know who it is, who, who you're looking more like? Looking more like Jesus. That's what true repentance looks like. The people that just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh, you know, I know what's wrong with you. <laughs> and, and you probably know what's wrong with you too. Let's just address it in, in truth so that God can be glorified because we're going to be held accountable. Violence is our first point. Moving on to the next. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> You've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh man, Jesus, calm down. <laughs> this is too much. Every man in the room is shrinking down. We've had those thoughts before. This is speaking to men and women, obviously. But again, the point is, what process are you going through before the action takes place? If you've given yourself over to it, a transgression of the law has already happened. You're already guilty. It's a done deal. I shared this with the men at our men's breakfast a couple weeks ago. Um, I got a call from one of my best friends, good, very good friend of mine. And he said, Tim, I need you to hold me accountable. I need an accountability partner. I'm stumbling with my eyes. I'm installing the software on my phone and my computer. It's going to send you updates of what sites I visited and the questionable things that I visited, if any of them are questionable. And, and you know, just being kind of pastoral toward my friend, I said, so what kind of things are you doing? Like, what, how bad is this? And he said, you know, every time I run across the JCPenney catalog or the Sears catalog, I'm kind of dating this conversation a little bit now, aren't I? But he says, I, I, I get it and I, I flip over to the lingerie section. I'm like, okay, and then what happens? It's like nothing. That's, that's you know, I'm like, you know, like hardcore, softcore. Like, what's the problem? You know, like, it's like, no, no, I know where my mind is going and, and I don't want it to go from there. I, I want that place to be the standard where, where it, it's cut off and it's stopped. I'm like, you're a sissy. That's it? You, wanna, you want me to pray for you for your lingerie addiction? No, listen, here's, here's the heart behind it. He knew where it was going. And we're going to get to the point now in the second part of this section where Jesus gives instruction about it. But he knew where it was going and he didn't want it to go there. So he reached out to a brother that would stop it in its early, 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 early stages. Rather than having that conversation that I've had many times talking to a man or a woman that said, I never thought that I would find myself in this place. 
I never thought those compromises, what I thought were little itty bitty Sears catalog lingerie compromises would end me up here to where now my sin is exposed and people question my character. Who, 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 who am I even the kind of person I am? Who am I? But that's, that's what happens with sin. And it doesn't happen in the action. It happens in the heart first. And it goes, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and you even start to think to yourself, well, I did that. This isn't that much worse. And I did that. And that doesn't, that's not much worse. And this and this and this until you find yourself. I have a, a, a friend that got saved in, in a very difficult situation where he was looking at federal time, federal prison for things that he was doing on his computer. And he said, I never thought that I would get to that place. And then one day the FBI knocked on his door. Knock, 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 knock. Hey, we need to look at your computer, some of the things that you've been doing on there. I never thought that I'd find myself there. So it's more important for us to look at the state and the condition of our heart and say, I know where this could end up. It's not an, an extra law that Jesus is giving. He, he says that I'm not trying to take away, not one jot or tittle is going to be taken away from the law in all the history of the earth. But what I do want to expose, I want to expose that, that it's not the action alone that condemns man, it's the state and condition of man's heart that allows him to get to the place of the action. But I say that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. <clears throat> I've shared this before with you guys, if you remember. This is one of my favorite verses by Jesus to illustrate. How many of you think that Jesus is being literal in saying this? None of you better raise your hand because you've all got your eyes still in your head. I can see you all from here. Nobody actually plucked an eye out, did you? But you know how else I know that he's not speaking literally of plucking your eye out and cutting your hand off? Is because I stand before you today. And I would have cut off my hands that caused me to sin by now, if that was the case, if Jesus was being literal. And I would have plucked out my eyes. This is the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate. And my feet would have taken me somewhere after that because that's the way that I had left. And I would cut off my feet. And I would be just a torso on the bed with no eyes, no hands, no legs. I'd be laying there and I'd be begging you all, please just finish me with a knife in the head because it'd still be happening here. Because this is where it starts. This is where it starts right here. That's the condition that needs to be addressed. Not the actual thing, the condition of my heart. So Jesus is saying, reflect on that. Think about that, how you get to the place before the action. One of the things that you can get to know about people is that when I do do a counseling session with somebody, I, I give them the opportunity up front to share whatever they want to share with me. And usually people talk quite a bit. And you know, 
Um, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't really hold in what you really believe, how you really think once you start letting those words fly. And sometimes it takes some, it takes some time, but, but eventually people will start to communicate how vitriolic they are and bitter and upset and venomous certain situations are in their life by the language they use and how they talk about certain people or certain situations and things. And the reason that is, is because, again, there's, a, there's an issue of the heart that has not been addressed. It means that you don't have to prohibit yourself from doing the action that's going to get you in trouble. You've already, you've already, you've already done it. It's, it's already happened. I had another friend who walked up to talk to him one day, and we were hanging out, and he got a text message or something, and he pulled a flip phone out of his pocket. And he flipped his phone and he you know, started, I'm like, you are the biggest dork I know. Everybody else is upgraded. Everybody's got smartphones. I think it's time to retire the flip phone, brother, and get a smartphone like the rest of us smarties. Preferably an Apple because Apple's the best. I'll take the honorarium Apple. And he said, no, it's not because I got way less chuckles than I thought. Come on, Joe, brother. <laughs> He said, I had a smartphone. That's not the problem. It's not that I haven't upgraded. It's that I always found myself going to the same sites over and over again. And one day I pulled out my phone and I'm going through some stuff and I kind of almost scary for me, almost naturally started putting stuff in my phone that I shouldn't be doing. And I stopped and I decided that it was time to cut off the hand. And he said, I took my phone and I threw it against the brick wall that I was standing next to, shattered it, and I went and got a flip phone so that I, so I don't do that anymore. Hey, is, is internet that important that, that you can't cut it off? For the sake of your own soul. You know why? Because when I give myself over to that, Whatever it is, not just pornography, whenever I give myself over to those things, it causes corruption to come into my life and it breaks down the goodness of God that he desires for me to experience. It makes it less and less and less. And I was talking to one guy one time and he said, my, my he didn't say addiction because of course he's not an addict, but he said, my, uh, my issue with pornography doesn't affect anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. And I said, wrong. Your addiction to pornography affects your marriage. It affects your attitude towards your wife. It affects your anger issues. It affects your children. It affects every part of your life. And if you don't believe it, do this. I guarantee, stop looking at porn. And in a month from now, come back and we'll have this conversation again. Guess what he did? He stopped. He got rid of it. He came back. He said, I can't believe how differently I look at everything and even my conversations are different since I've not given myself over to looking at pornography on a daily basis. If we don't think that it affects us, if we don't think those vitriolic thoughts that we have against people that we hate, that wronged us, if we don't think that that, that affects us, we're, we're just being lied to. It's the issue of the heart that needs to be addressed. And hopefully that's what we do when we, when we receive instruction from God's word, right? It's not gonna pass away. 
It's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's there to give us instruction. It's to help us. And we address the issues of our heart before him, not because we're trying to fulfill the law ourselves, not because we're trying to check the boxes, because we understand that it was our heart condition that caused the division in relationship with him in the first place. And it's a heart condition in the future that will also cause a division in relationship with him. Did you know that? That's how sin separates us from God. It drives a wedge in between something that God said that he had taken care of and handled on your behalf. And then we take things into our own hands again and think that everything's gonna be just fine. It's not. It's gonna affect you. And as much as the alcoholic thinks that nothing is affecting anybody around them, anything that they do doesn't affect anybody else. It's them, they're the ones, that the drug addict, whatever you want to say, the, the serial hater, whatever. It not only affects them, but it affects everybody that's around them. All the relationships will start to become, grow in toxicity and corruption creeps in, and then the enemy rejoices because we start to have the same mentality of him. Kill, steal, destroy. My benefit. What can I get out of it? I want to be exalted. This is the heart that's expressed in these next two verses as we close up. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 31. <clears throat> Furthermore, it's been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, do you know that there's churches, that there's Christians, that there's Bible teachers that have taken this verse and made it a law in the church, and they prohibit people who've been divorced to get remarried? Can you believe that? when that's not at all even close to what Jesus is saying here. Again, what is it connected to in, in, in reference to adultery? He's saying the issue is with you people and your hearts. And before you had to issue a certificate of divorce, but you guys are going around doing whatever you want to do. I have a, uh, somebody that I know very well, very dearly, who's not walking with the Lord right now. Him and his wife have been separated for like 10 years she still has his last name. She's in a new relationship every month. Literally, like relationship to relationship to relationship. He's had multiple girlfriends, multiple relationships, and, they've, and they never even sat down and said, you know what, we need to legally get divorced. Because the heart, the condition of the heart was present even before they started to separate. And, and their, their indifference to how they were acting was present before too. So now what's the big deal? It's a piece of paper. What is the condition of my heart? How can I not look at the law to show that I am a law abider or I am a righteous person, but look at the law or look at God's word and, and reflect on how he desires me to be changed by it? Again, in, in the condition of my state, my heart condition, how can I be changed by it? How can, it? how can I be more like Jesus? Not so that I can say I obeyed the law, but the fulfillment of God's purpose through it would be revealed through me. And I would be not even wanting to get anywhere near that stuff that I did before. 
Can I get a witness? I don't even want to be near that stuff that I did before. I don't want to start the process of thinking that I know where it's going to end up. Do you know where it's going to end up? I know where it's going to end up. I got to stop it and cut it off. And then the expression of God's heart through his fulfillment of the law through you shows the world who he is. Does that make sense? Jesus' fulfillment of the law, my understanding of that, my position relationship with God is going to so affect me that it affects other people around me. Not because I'm a law abider, not because I'm a legalist, but because I, I'm aware of the condition of my heart and how God addressed that on my behalf. This is how we tie it back into this forsaking kingdom series through the gospel of Matthew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your living word, sharper than any double-edged sword, and that we can reflect and think about a little bit on your heart towards us for a relationship. I mean, that's what these two things and the next three things that we're going to talk about, Lord, they, they really do indicate where we're at. As far as relationally go, we don't want to curse our brothers or sisters or have impure thoughts or motives and think that our relationship with you can be okay. You want those relationships to be as healthy and in a better place through our relationship with you and in that relationship being healthy and in, a, in the best place it can be. Thank you for your instruction to us through your word, Father. We ask that you would hear our prayers, that you would speak to us this week, and that you would be glorified through our desire to be obedient to you, through our desire to know, to cry out to you, and to really want to know to a greater degree who you are and what you're doing, Lord, in this season of our lives. Bless my brothers and sisters, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.